If you realize you haven't wrote a joke yet and it's time to record an episode, well, welcome to Playing It Wrong. Hello and welcome to episode 19, I think, of Playing It Wrong, the podcast where I'm... Actually, this is the episode where I'm having to start basically over because I realized that my mic was set on stupid. Actually, it was set on near mute, so I realized that you couldn't even barely hear me because of the mic. Sorry about that. So what's in this episode? Well, I'm going to have a little introspection about when to blog it, when to cast it, and when to publish it. I'm going to do another OSR meets 5e rant. And of course, it'll be ended with readings from the little brown books. So let's start off with that little introspection on when to blog it, when to cast it, and when to publish it. Because I don't have a real solid answer. You know, the when to cast it is fairly easy, because I'm deciding of I'm deciding of. All right, sorry, folks. My general philosophy about the podcast is to save it for more philosophical rants rather than anything that has crunchy bits or rules, unless it's like a rule that can be put into one sentence or part of a longer rant. But when it comes to what am I going to blog, I can still do some of the philosophical stuff, but I think people like more. I don't know, the, the crunchy bits is what I like to put on there. More like rules, monsters, magic items, even though I occasionally do reviews. And when I'm doing those various little um, rules tweaks or house rules or monsters or whatever, you, whatever I'm throwing up there, I still kind of inject some of my philosophy in there. But the big question I always have to myself is, do I want to pretty this thing up and put it on drive through RPG for either pay what you want or you know, very low price? And I go through, you know, thinking of yes, no, maybe not getting around to doing it and all that crazy stuff. So that's <clears throat> kind of throwing it out there, how other people decide and figure that sort of thing out. I mean, I've got like five or six things started that may or may not ever see light of day, depending if I get them done. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes I feel guilty, you know, just asking people for money for this stuff because, I don't know, I'm... Maybe it's lack of confidence. Maybe it's the same reason I still haven't gotten off my butt and did that Patreon yet. But then again, I can see what my numbers are like on Anchor, and <laughs> uh, I gotta spam people more, or be more interesting, or be more controversial. That'll get hits. Yes, that, that always works on the internet. Be controversial. So, uh, uh, to be controversial, I will say that there's no difference between ascending and descending armor class. It doesn't matter. It's just math. And that race and cla- race is class and race is separate. It doesn't matter. You can f- mix and match to whatever you want in your freaking campaign. So how's that for controversy for you? All right, let's move on to my meat of my episode of yet another rant on 5e meets old school gaming. Because there's been a lot of that going on in the Anchor Cast, which well, okay, it's because I'm playing catch up on the Anchor Cast because work's busy and I tend to binge listen to one person's cast for like five or six episodes, then move on to the next one and kind of rotate everybody through the mix. Ooh, that was a bad cut there, but really you do want to hear the stuff that I cut out. Anyway, old school 5e. Okay, there's been lots of talk again. I'm st- still trying to make 5e more old school-like. Uh, yeah, there are ways to do it, but um, there's a lot of them right there in the DMG of attribute roll instead of skills, slower healing rates, getting rid of death saves, uh, what else is there? 
lots of stuff like that. So it's in the DMG as optional rules. So if you have players who are freaking out because things are a bit grittier, it can be in the official book, so get over that. And that's my next point is there's a lot of players who are coming new to D&D. The only thing they've been exposed to is, well, either Critical Role or video games. Encounters are not scaled for your benefit. You're not always the hero. You don't always win. Sometimes player characters die. I've played Call of Cthulhu. I've played Dungeon... Well, I've ran Dungeon Crawl Classics. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I've ran it. Player characters die a lot in those games, so I'm kind of used to it. There's even a few neat things that can be ported back in from 5e. A lot of people use the advantage-disadvantage mechanic. I know I do because it's simple and it's kind of fun. So cross-pollinate, doesn't matter. But one of the uh, things that a lot of the old grognards really complain about on 5e is lethality. It's not as lethal as the old games, and characters are, you know, somewhat superheroic, 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 and are much harder to kill, but not impossible to kill. Let me tell you the stories of the TPKs or near TPKs that have occurred in our group playing Fifth Edition. There it is, counting down TPKs in 5e. I will do these roughly in chronological order as they appeared or as they will pop up in my memory because some of them will get ran together. But TPK number one, number one, was in Lost Minds of Philandering. <laughs> Lost Minds of Philandering, that's not what it's called. You know, the, the damn adventure in the starter set, that one. <laughs> Lost Minds of Philandering, God damn it. Anyway, um, no, no spoilers, but we do have the, um, in early on in the venture, there's a good chance that the party will be ambushed by some goblins. Not very many goblins, but the party of first-level characters getting ambushed by goblins. First time I ran it, my dice were hot. That's why I attributed it to. And, yep, the goblins won. And that moves on to TPK number two. Once again, I was kind of filling in for a DM who wouldn't be there, so I had to make up a dungeon. So I made up a dungeon. It's the first dungeon I made for 5e. I even used the guidelines that are, I think, in the DMG or the Monster Manual to run balanced encounters. So I sat down there with pen, paper, and calculator and everything else and figured out what is a balanced encounter for this party at this level. Well, that is... If a couple dice rolls don't go astray, and the party makes a couple of tactical mistakes. So, the party is exploring a dungeon. They're working down the hallway, and one of the few times they actually send the thief ahead to scout. They even do the prep of turning the thief invisible while he's scouting. He moves up. He gets in the middle of the next room. Make your stealth roll. Yes, well, yes. It's 5e. I can do damn skill rolls. There's a term in 5e, and I think it's become popular on the internet if you hang around some of those circles. It's called sadvantage. It's when you roll on advantage and you still horribly, disgustingly fail, which is what the thief did in the middle of the room. So guess what? We have a surprise round as the monsters attack. The monsters in this case are two ogre magi. They're invisible too. They didn't fail their stealth rolls. So... Everybody's surprised. In round one, the ogres go. They pummel the crap out of the thief. Oh, by the way, the ogre magi also happen to win the initiative. 
So, surprise round, they pummel the thief. Guess what? The party is lined up neatly down a hallway. And what do Ogre Magi have? Even in 5th edition, each one of them has a cone of cold. Number one, and number two, down the hallway. And it just goes downhill after that. The biggest tactical mistake they made is that they could have either A, ran away, screw the thief who was dying anyway, to push beyond the ogres to get in the room, but not basically sit there at a check, check, uh, <laughs> choke point and get have the lead character pummeled by the ogre until, well, the next character can step up. Yeah, that was just due to a little bit of stupidity. But according to the rules, that was a balanced encounter for that party. And this lets us move on to TPK number three. Once again, this is one of my games. I did a homebrew adventure. And this is one of the best types of TPKs because it involves the DM absolutely rolling zero dice. So the party is sneaking up on a village of lizard men in the jungle. The sorcerer decides he's finally going to cast Mage Armor on himself. He is a wild mage. He gets a wild surge. They are a first level party. This is the first spell of the entire campaign. And no other character has cast a spell. This is the first spell that the character casts. Gets a wild surge. Fireball. On a first level party. Yes, it doesn't matter what edition you're playing. A first-level party, even getting hit by a fire fireball at the lowest level, will kill them. And while this really wasn't because of an encounter and just dumb luck of the dice, but then again, that's what all these games are about, the dumb luck of the dice. And TBK number four. That's right, four, four TBKs! And I'm doing the count voice because this is a TBK involving a vampire, and it's also one where I was a player. Yes, our fifth edition party was going exploring a dungeon we meet a tough vampire not straw level but still a tough vampire we gear up we're gonna go in there we're gonna kill it the vampire charms somebody guess who the vampire charms and guess who fails their saving throw the paladin me guess who is the only character who can really dish out a lot of damage on that vampire me the paladin guess who continues to fail their saves against the charm. Me, the paladin. It was just a game of attrition because, well, the one person who could actually, like, bang this monster's head against the concrete was there going, like, no, stop, guys, or I'll be back. You can send me on an errand. Have fun. <laughs> oh, well, you're all dead. Sorry. <sighs> but that, that is it. It goes to show you, it can happen in 5e. It's harder at higher levels as soon as, especially with that, you have to make negative hit points to uh, have a character die. And, you know, that, that, that ends up being a lot of hit points. And finally, we've got one last incident where I'm not calling this a TPK because only one player died. But one thing about our group is, even though there's a lot of new players, I have infected them with the old school disease and mentality. And so no one got mad at me when I did this. But it was kicking the door. The barbarian runs in the room, immediately is mauled by a couple mana cores, and I'm playing the bard who just closes the door and go, nothing going on here, and walks away. I ain't afraid to run. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so, hey, and plus, well, bard, run. You either run from it or you bang it. 
Anyway, all right, let's move on to the reading from the Little Brown Books. Original edition D&D, we're still on volume two, Monsters and Treasure, and we're going to hit, and we're still hitting on monsters. Hey, I played the bard, I'm hitting on monsters. Uh, according to my notes, why I left off right here at Pixies. And in case you're a new listener, hey, I just read the stuff and just say whatever pops into my frickin' head. So, Pixies are air sprites as described in Chainmail. Once again, we're referring to another game. Pixers can be made visible or make themselves visible, but they're naturally invisible. I, that doesn't make sense. Therefore, they're able to attack while remaining generally invisible. Let me read that sentence again. Pixies can be made visible or make themselves visible, but they are naturally invisible to human eyes. Therefore, they're able to attack while remaining generally invisible. You know, you're, it's only generally invisible, not, not totally invisible. <sighs> uh, they can be seen clearly only when a spell to make them visible is employed. Okay. Although certain monsters such as dragons and high-level fighters will be aware of their presence. I don't know why a high-level fighter suddenly sees them. I, I, don't know, I have to go back. See, dryads are tree sprites, and um, they have a tree. They can't leave it. They're shy, nonviolent, and have a charm person. With a plus 10% chance of succeeding, and anyone who approaches falls dry is likely 90% to have the spell thrown at them. Anyone charmed by a dryad will never return from the forest. Dryads have exact knowledge of the woods around them. Yeah, th I'm glad they nerfed that one a little bit. See, gnomes are slightly smaller than dwarves with longer beards. Don't tell the dwarves that. These creatures usually inhabit hills and lowland burrows, as opposed to mountainous homes, which, which the dwarves choose. I'm doing silly voices because I'm being tongue-tied. They're more reclusive than their cousins, but in all other respects, they're dwarves. So, um, basically, original gnomes were hill dwarves. Ah, then we go on to actual dwarves. Because of their size, they're clumsy. Um, because, of their, because of their relatively small size, they because of their relatively small size, clumsy monsters like ogres and giants and the like will have difficulty hitting dwarves. Uh, so they take half damage. Any body of dwarves will have one above average fighter for every 40 in the group. To determine the symbol and roll a six-sided die, blah, 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 blah. Um, they'll have magic items. Unintelligent beasts may sometimes be used by dwarves to form part of their defenses. Domesticated bears, wolves, or whatever at the uh, at the referee's option. They are otherwise outlined in chainmail. Yay! Elves. Elves are of two general sorts: those who make their homes in the woodlands, and those who seek remote meadowlands. Okay, I'm not sure the exact difference between woodlands and meadowlands, but oh well. For every fifty elves, we go through the blah 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 levels and how many people got. Um, one half of them will be armed with a bow, blah, 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 blah. Elves can move silently, nearly invisible in their gray-green cloaks. They all dress alike. Elves armed with magical weapons will add one pip to dice roll to determine damage. Yeah. Elves on foot may split, move, and fire. Mounted elves may not split, move, and fire. And they're... For they are not naturally adapted to horseback. I don't know what that means, but elves don't like to ride horses, I guess. There's no elven cavalry. Treants. See, these aren't even in alphabetical order, and, I, and part of the time I can't figure out any logic to the order that these were put in the book. <clears throat> Tree-like creatures, which we are know, they're only encountered in forests and woodlands. Once again, I don't know what the difference between a forest and a woodland is. 
Uh, they have the ability to command plants like themselves. So if they're within six inches of a tree, they may cause it to move three inches per turn. A normal tree, apparently. Each commanding of up to tr trees in this manner. Although lawful in nature's treants are not prone to involve themselves in the affairs which do not directly concern them. Pegasi, winged horses, wild, shy, difficult to capture. Serve only lawful characters. Once captured, Pegasi are equal to any horse in battle, for they fight as heavy horses and fly as well. Pegasi. Hippogriffs. Although their names imply a cross between a horse and a griffin, the hippogriff is another kind of beast entirely. They are fierce fighters attacking with both their hooves and their sharp beaks. They are otherwise similar to Pegasi in nature. Although these two creatures do not herd together and will not and will normally fight each other. Rocks. Big birds. Rawr, big birds. Big birds. <laughs> this term has been used to encompass large and fierce birds. The rock of mythology preys upon elephants. Therefore, the data given for rocks is understood to be that of the small variety, and that of the largest rocks would be doubled or even troubled. All rocks nest high in the most inaccessible mountains, and if an encounter is made when rocks are in their lair, that is their nest, there's a 50% chance there will be one to six young eggs, chicks, or fledglings. Young rocks can be tamed and taught to serve as steeds. Adults will always be hostile if there are young in the nest. Otherwise, they'll be Otherwise, they will be positively hostile only to chaos and neutrality, ignoring 80% or being friendly 20% to lawful characters who do not attempt to approach too close. Uh, we're going on another page, and I think we're actually planning a good time for us to uh, say goodbye. We're going to save more monsters for next week because we're still well we got a couple more pages of monsters but we're going to do that next time because I, really some of these are just you see how the game's involved there's a good ideas but there's some really weird shit in the beginning anyway i like to thank you for listening uh go to the blog it's they might be gazebos.blog it's the letter b not b e because like i say in all my episodes i'm stupid find us on facebook at they might be gazebos I spelled it right there, at least. Or, hey, drop us an email at magicpigmedia at gmail.com. Or, hey, go to Anchor. Get the, get the app. You can leave us a message. Just you know, search for playing it wrong. That's me. I play it wrong. So, till next week, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, have fun. All right, thanks for listening.